Let's pray together. As we turn our attention, Father, to your word, we thank you for the gift of your word, that you reveal yourself truly and trustworthy to us. And we hold on to the promise that your word will not return to you empty or void, but will accomplish what you have set out for it to accomplish. And that through the foolishness of preaching, we are led to believe. So, Father, as your word says elsewhere today, if you hear his voice, which we do through the scriptures, may we not harden our hearts as was done by our fathers. May we have soft and tender hearts as we approach your word, teachable to what your spirit, the spirit of truth, leads and guides us into. So we come before you in worship and adoration and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are able, I'd like to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word. It's Mark chapter 14. If you're not able, please. And bear in mind, this is a little bit longer of a reading. So it's Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 26 and reading down to verse 52. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, And he kissed him, and they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple, teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
There's a passage in the book of Hebrews that tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, and yet never sinned. Think about the meaning of that particular passage for a second. Jesus was tempted. Among other things, it had to have mean that he was subject to the assaults of Satan, that the adversary threw everything that he had at Jesus. He was subject to the same suffering, the same affliction, the same temptation that we are in the same fallen world, and yet never sinned. Dan Allender writes on this, he says, the evil one uses the pain and confusion of a fallen world to shadow doubt over the goodness of God. The evil one wants us to question God. He desires even more for us to ignore the need to wrestle with God, to grapple with God or the world in which we live. Think about this passage I just read for us. A very sad and tragic passage as Jesus is moving towards the climax of his cross. The evil one threw everything he had at Jesus. Jesus not only underwent temptation in the wilderness, but here we see that he underwent relational pain and the temptation that comes with it. Remember, temptation is not sin. Mark's narrative that we're looking at this morning leads up to the point where Jesus is arrested. Jesus is betrayed by one of the twelve. Jesus is seized. And we learn in this, we've all experienced relational pain. We've all experienced rejection. We've all experienced abandonment and betrayal. The damage it causes is extreme. It can feel like an assault on our soul. Even after forgiving, even if we are able to let go of some of the bitterness, if we're honest, it's difficult to trust. How do we deal with this? Jesus knew, he predicted, we're going to go over this, he predicted, he prophesied Peter would deny him. He told them they would all flee. He said they would all abandon him. He wrestled with his father. If we think Jesus' suffering on the cross was only physical, we are sorely mistaken. This passage, this narrative that we are working through is brimming with real, severe, painful, gut-wrenching suffering of Jesus for our sins and our sinfulness. The narrative we're looking at this morning, though it's a, a narrative, it's a narrative Mark's recorded of the events, contains doctrine in it, specifically the doctrine of humanity, Jesus' humanity and our humanity. You know, the fundamental doctrine of Christ is that he is 100% God and 100% man. In this passage, the bulk of the focus is on the humanity of Jesus. What he experienced as a real, live, historical human being. And we learn two things in this passage, or at least two things we're going to explore from this passage. We're going to look at the, in a sense, and they are a contrast. We're going to look at a contrast between two things. The human condition and the surrender of Jesus. So we're going to look at our humanity and Jesus' humanity. And the point of our humanity is to drive us and lead us to Jesus. So look with me at the text, beginning at verse 26. Let's look at the human condition a little bit. It begins, this is after they've taken the Lord's Supper, after the institution of the Lord's Supper. They've shared that final meal together. It says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. 
And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. So he's telling them, you're going to abandon me. You're going to desert me. You are going to fall away. For it is written, and he quotes here Zechariah 13. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But there will be a reunion. There will be a restoration because he says, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter, as always, filled with self-confidence. Here's part of the human condition. Look at the self-reliance of Peter. Peter says to him, even though they all might follow. Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus says to them, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically. So Peter insists, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Look at this. One of the things we learn, here's the first part about the contrast we're going to learn. Here's the human condition. It wants to be autonomous. Jesus here uses Zechariah 13.7 to support his claim. In Zechariah 13, we read, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the, against the little ones in the whole land, declares the Lord. Two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. Then they will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. Look what's going on here in the prophecy of Zechariah. In this prophecy, God commands that the shepherd, now the shepherd is the man who stands next to me. And Jesus in Mark is applying this to himself. Okay, the man who stands next to me, the shepherd, will be struck down and the sheep will all be scattered. And in the context, the purpose of the scattering is so that they will be refined. As gold is tested, as silver is refined, so that they can then be reimagined, recreated as a new people of God. One commentator speaks of Jesus' prediction and Jesus is applying this to himself saying the passage to which Jesus referred thus speaks of a necessity, something that must happen which will lead to redemption. Even as sheep are scattered in panic when their shepherd falls, so the death of Jesus will cause the disciples to desert him and will mark the loss of center, of the center point for their own communal fellowship. See, look what Jesus is saying. He's saying this disorientation, this loss of equilibrium, this end of yourself, this seeing your condition and your need, seeing what you are truly like as a fallen human being is a necessary step to redemption and to wholeness. See, do you see your condition? Do you see your need? This is why Jesus tells them that they will be scattered, that they will abandon him, that Peter himself will deny him. And that only after the resurrection will they be reunited at Galilee. Of course, this is too much for Peter. He can't handle this. He objects vehemently. So if you look at the text, Peter says, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Look at this. 
Peter does not yet know his own heart. See, here's the application. Do you? Do you know your own heart? He doesn't know his condition, his very human condition. It may be true of them, but not of me. See, one of the marks, we need to understand this, one of the marks of the human condition is that we are self-deceived. He's just deluded. He doesn't know himself. Listen to how the prophet Jeremiah put it when he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? One writer put it this way in a most emphatic manner. In fact, Jesus in verse 30 says, truly, meaning absolutely, thus saith the Lord. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, Jesus solemnly announced that in spite of all goodwill, And the most somber warnings, Peter will find him to be a stumbling block and an offense. Before the early morning hours, when the second crowing of the rooster announces the approaching dawn, Peter will have denied him three times. And this commentator says this reference to a threefold denial indicates the completeness, the thoroughness, the comprehensiveness with which Peter will refuse to acknowledge Jesus and the inescapability of the charge that he was offended because of his master. See, Jesus frankly tells them, you will all desert me. You will all fall away. Do you see the ways in which you functionally, I know we believe in Jesus, but do you see the ways in your life you deny him? Do you see the ways in your life you operate out of thinking too highly of yourself? Thinking too importantly of yourself? I mean, I'm aware of it in subtle ways. Sometimes I listen to myself pray and I go, how can I pray that way? You know, I'll pray, Lord, I come before you in a certain way. And then I'm thinking, well, that's not really honest. That's not true. Lord, how do I come before you? If I was honest, I'd say, Lord, I come before you. Arrogant, proud, self-reliant, wretched person. Who does Peter think he's fooling? Do you know your own heart? See, one of the themes, remember I said this is the doctrine of humanity. Ours contrasted with Jesus's. And one of the themes we see coming out in this narrative concerning concerning the fallen human condition is our over-self-confidence. Our thinking too highly of ourselves. Our thinking a little bit too much of ourselves. Which is why, if you look with me down in verse 32, look at this. It says, they go to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus says to his disciples, I want you all to sit here while I pray. And he pulls apart Peter, James, and John. And he begins to be greatly distressed and troubled. Now, why did he separate Peter, James, and John from the the rest? Why does he bring Peter, James, and John? Think about this. Do you not think Jesus, I don't think it's so much Jesus needed them, although it would have been nice if they were friends to Jesus at this moment, but I don't think Jesus really needed them as much as they needed him and he still wanted to teach them. Because remember, Peter had just expressed, there's no way I'll deny you, I won't ever be untrue. And do you remember our friends, the brothers Zebedee? Remember a few chapters back ago, chapter 10, when they sent their mom in to make a request for them? And they kind of, you know, go, Jesus, we have something to ask you. 
I love how Jesus always goes along with it. Sure, what do you guys want? And they said, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. They were really understanding a lot about discipleship. You know, forget about serving the least, serving the lost, serving the marginalized. We kind of see you're about to go in glory. We want the, we want the chief seats right there. At the, we want the privileged status. Jesus continues to go along with them. He says, you don't even know what you're asking. Do you notice here the heart is deceitful above all things? Jesus is kind of affirming that doctrine. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism? Taking upon himself the very judgment of God. Drinking the cup. And at this point, he says to James and John, are you able to drink the cup I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism I'm about to go through? And of course, they say, uh, yeah, we are. So here we are in Gethsemane, and Jesus pulls them aside to show them a little bit about what he is about to face, his drinking of the cup. Peter's just declared his over-self-confidence, not abandoning Jesus. Jesus brings them out to Gethsemane, exhorts them, be vigilant, be alert, stay awake. They think too highly of themselves, the human condition, because what happens? They fall asleep. They're not able to stay alert. They're not able to stay awake. And of course, the narrative concludes, you've got Judas betraying them with a kiss. You've got the arrest and the seizing. And I don't want to be too hard on them because I think if we're honest, wouldn't we all do the same thing? I know we'd like to think we wouldn't, but see, that's our heart. That's the human condition. We are all too self-confident. We are all too defensive. We are all too deceived. And you need to recognize the path to knowing Jesus is knowing yourself. The point is not knowing yourself to beat yourself up. The point is knowing yourself so that you may know Jesus. And that brings us to our next point. Discovering the surrender of Jesus. See, thinking about, think about the arc of this narrative. Thinking about kind of the trajectory of this narrative. Why does Mark put the narrative of Jesus' prayer to the Father, the Get, Gethsemane interaction, why does he put that between Jesus' telling the disciples they will all fall away, and then kind of the fulfillment with the betrayal, the arrest, and then what we're going to look at next week, the actual denial of Peter, the fulfillment of the prediction. Might it be that Mark is emphasizing and again, remember here, we're looking now at the doctrine of Jesus' humanity. Might it be that Mark is emphasizing that Jesus, in a human sense, has to face his hour of crisis utterly alone? See, again, a commentator writes, he says, what is at the heart of the scene is that mystery and suffering which can be penetrated only by those who walk with Jesus in the way of the cross. See, Mark has recorded three times for us. This is the third time in Mark's gospel where he's recorded Jesus pulling away for an extended time of prayer. He did it back in chapter 1, he did it in chapter 6, and now he's doing it here. And again, this writer says, the similarity of the setting in all three of these things, solitude, being alone, night, and awareness of the spiritual warfare and the demonic, the placement of these passages at the beginning decisive point in the middle, and here at the end of the gospel, implies that Mark saw in these incidents fundamental events for the understanding of Jesus and his mission. See, verse 33 says he takes with him Peter, James, and John, and he begins 
Listen to the words. He begins to be distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Listen to the strength and the intensity of this language. My soul is troubled. It is very sorrowful, even to death. And a writer indicates, he says, this language indicates that Mark understood Gethsemane to be the critical moment in Jesus' life when the full meaning of his submission to the Father confronted him with its immediacy. The dreadful sorrow and anxiety then, out of which the prayer for the passing of the cup springs, is not an expression of fear before a dark destiny, nor, and this is very important, nor a shrinking from the prospect of physical suffering and death. It's not like Jesus was saying, oh, I'm afraid of the physical pain. No, it is rather the horror of the one who lives wholly for the Father. Remember Jesus' words in the Gospel of John, my food, my substance, my nourishment, my portion on the plate is to do your will and finish your work. It says, it is the horror of the one who lives wholly for the Father at the prospect of the alienation from God, which is entailed in the judgment upon sin, which Jesus is about to assume. This is an anticipation of his cry of dereliction from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus came to be with the Father for an interlude before his betrayal, but found hell rather than heaven opened before him. And he staggered. The text says, going a little farther, he fell on the ground. Notice the details of this text, the humanity of Jesus. And he prays. If it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he cries out, and he's still using the familiar, the familial, Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. Remove the cup from me. And what is the cup? The cup is the cup of God's wrath that Isaiah speaks of when he says, Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. Jesus is facing the chasm, the horror of all that that cup really meant, and that he was about to drink it. He was about to fulfill what was to come to Jerusalem, what was to come to Israel. He was about to take upon himself the very judgment of God. What we think of as future judgment was about to usher in and come into the present and fall upon Jesus himself, and he Jesus approaching the Father, Abba Father, pleading, all things are possible with you. Remove this cup, and yet in the face, look at his resolution, look at his commitment, look at his submission and his surrender, yet not what I will, but what you will. Do we see that Jesus did this for us? That he did this. See, look at the contrast in this passage. When we're under pressure, when the heat is turned up in our life, what do we tend to do? See, we're no better than Peter, James, and John. We tend to get more selfish. We tend to take control. We tend to be autonomous. What does Jesus do? The humanity of Jesus, when the fire gets turned up, the pressure, the heat gets turned up, the pressure's on. 
He gets deeper into his spiritual disciplines. He gets deeper into plunging his heart into the heart of the Father. He goes deeper into the mystery of prayer and into submission and surrender. Yet not what I will, not what makes sense to me, not what I prefer, but I surrender to you in order to surrender to the cross. See, look at the contrast between self-confident, self-reliant humans and utterly dependent on the Father, Jesus. And verses 41 and 42 says, and he came the third time, and I could do a whole other sermon, and maybe I should sometime, a whole other sermon on temptation and sin. But he comes in the third time and says to them, are you still sleeping? Are you still taking your rest? And look at the resolution, the firmness in this. It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Listen to Get up. Let's go. I'm about to be arrested. I'm about to be seized. This is the direction I'm going. My betrayer is at hand. He's been with the Father. He surrendered his will. He's submitting his life. And he is committed to the plan. He is committed to surrendering to the cross in order to reverse the curse, take your and my judgment upon himself, drink to the dregs the cup of God's wrath, in order that the love of God, the grace of God, the covenant of God may be fulfilled and may fall upon us. One commentator put it this way, he says, the moment is imminent when the power of sin and death will overwhelm Jesus and destroy him. This is Satan's hour. And it's Satan's hour because sinners are Satan's agents. Jesus has been delivered by God into the realm of satanic power from which there is no protection. That the transcendent Son of Man should fall into the hands of sinners is conceivable only in terms of the sovereign will of God and submission of his Son. Just as rebellion in a garden brought death's reign over man, it is submission in Gethsemane a garden that will reverse that pattern of rebellion and set in motion a sequence of events which defeated death itself. The text concludes. They all scatter. They all flee. And there's a valiant young man. And the early church basically said that that was probably Mark. And the point of this is to emphasize the fact that they all abandoned Jesus That in a human sense, the humanity of Jesus, he was utterly alone. They all flee, they all abandon in self-protection, taking care of themselves. But Jesus was committed to the plan. Just as sin and death was introduced to the world in a garden, so was redemption being accomplished. The path of redemption, the resoluteness of the surrender to the cross is being accomplished in a garden. To reverse the curse and to defeat death itself. Father, I pray that you would teach us to discover ourselves. To know that we ourselves are deceitful. The flesh is deceitful above, the heart is deceitful above all things. We don't know ourselves. But help us to discover ourselves in order to know Jesus. To see Jesus' commitment to the redemptive plan. To see Jesus' surrender to the cross, to see Jesus' submission to the Father all out of love for us. May Jesus, may you grow bigger and bigger and bigger in our hearts and our minds and in our lives, we pray 
in your name. Amen.